0: /awards only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com
1: and thus we have come to the end of the very irregular regular season for Nebraska football maybe a friday night game in new jersey in the snow and cold potentially was the only way such a bizarre year could be, Could end it's been strange it'll be tough it'll be important you're listening to the IED Preview Podcast. I'm Hale Varsity Managing Editor, Brandon Vogel. Let's talk some football. The Big Ten's Champions Week, quote-unquote, didn't exactly go to plan. When they announced this, it seemed like a great idea. Everybody was on board. You've got the the championship game, obviously, which is which is important. But beyond that, the Big Ten, to, to basically get everybody an extra game, was going to... <clears throat> pair up these, these games based on seeding. So the number two team in the West takes on the number two team in the East, so on and so forth. Instead, the league ended up with, I think, more cancellations than, well, certainly it hoped for, but probably it anticipated. And outside of the top four, there was just a mass of two and three win teams. Below them, some of those cancellations included pretty important rivalry games, which clouded the thinking here a little bit. Um, and, and, and those games are worth protecting. Paul Bunyan's axe is worth protecting. So instead of Wisconsin playing Maryland or, or Michigan State, which is what maybe the standings would have said, um, because the Wisconsin-Minnesota game got canceled and that game's been played for over a century straight, the Big Ten, I think, made the right decision in deciding to make that one of these, these flex week games, for lack of a better term. Indiana-Purdue was expected to be another one of those, the, the battle for the old oaken bucket. That game, unfortunately, got canceled, um, which, in some ways, I don't know if this was good or bad for Nebraska. It just was. Uh, <laughs> when, when Nebraska got its draw... For for this week, it it got a trip to Rutgers for a game that was originally scheduled to be played uh, Friday afternoon, uh, which was going to be bizarre. It's getting dark in New Jersey by the time this game was slated to kick off. People are at work, like it's it's not an ideal spot for for a football game by any means. Because Indiana Purdue, which was also scheduled for Friday night, is no longer. Nebraska was able to get that game. Well, Nebraska didn't do it, the Big Ten decided, but with a, a more valuable primetime TV slot to fill, all of a sudden, Rutgers, Nebraska has moved to Friday night, 6.30 p.m. At least more people get to watch it, I guess. It's just <laughs> everything this year, um, even the part, even the football part, which was supposed to be a bit of a diversion, reminds us of just how bizarre everything has been. That's the challenge facing Nebraska this week. You've got to make the longest road trip possible for, for the Huskers in the Big Ten on a short week. The Northeast was expected to get hit with a lot of snow. Not during game time, but it's going to be around. It's going to be cold. It's going to be dark. The stadium's going to be empty. It's a, it's, it's a pretty sizable challenge. And I think that, that ends up being a good thing, which we'll, we'll get into a little bit later. Circa Sports opened this line on Sunday when, when the matchups were finally announced uh, at Nebraska minus five by midweek. It was up to about the Huskers minus seven. We've got some disagreement among the house power rankings this week in terms of what they think this line should be, which is good. That's interesting. Uh, a lot of times they'll, they'll be pretty, in pretty close agreement, but this one we've got, we've got quite the span. The SP Plus power rankings, the preferred power rankings of the IED Preview Podcast. I think I can say that at this point. Um, Sees 3-5 and Rutgers as the number number 100 team in the country uh, with a rating of minus 8.6. I believe that's, well, maybe maybe Illinois. I'd have to go back and look, but I believe that's the first time this season Nebraska has faced a team with a negative rating, which means that it is viewed as below the the average. This this rating system is designed for the average team to be 0.0. So what SP Plus is saying about the Scarlet Knights is that they are 8.6 points worse than the average team on a neutral field. Nebraska, despite how many might feel after the the latest loss, didn't really drop very much in, in SP Plus. Uh, it was down about a half point, but that still left the Huskers as with a rating of 6.3, so 6.3 points, better than the average team on a neutral field, uh, and that ranked 41st. Do the math on that, account for a couple points uh, for quote-unquote home field advantage for, for Rutgers, and SP Plus has this line all the way up at Nebraska minus 13, so almost double what it was sitting at midweek on the actual line. FPI, the other in-house ranking system at, at ESPN, Disagreed um somewhat significantly. That ranking system has Rutgers as the 67th best team in the country entering this week in a 0.6 rating. Just like SP Plus, that's meant to be points better than average. Uh Nebraska is 48th with a with a 4.2 ranking. So the FPI line using the same two-point home field advantage that I did for SP Plus, and again, that's me kind of guessing a little bit, but FPI would put this at Nebraska minus just about a point and a half. So this one's a tough one to handicap honestly as I as I look at it. Not that any college football games tend to be tend to be that easy, but you just look at that two two different power rankings. One has it as basically a coin flip. The other one has Nebraska as almost a, a two touchdown favorite. And I don't know quite what to expect for with this one. Um it's I tend to be pretty skeptical of bowl results in a in a normal year, Um, and and I know like there's some some big time bowls and literally the playoff bowls, of course, are deciding the national champion. But for for anything below that, I've always approached them with some reticence because they're so outside the natural rhythm of the season. You've got very different levels of motivation in a way that isn't true for just the you know, random week four game. And for, for those reasons, I always tend to to not put a ton of stock in most bowl results. And, and I know as the last game of the season, a lot of people like to like take that and run with it, maybe put more in it than is actually there by saying, well, hey, you know, Team X finished really strongly. They killed this team in the bowl game. It, it's not the same for me as as just your regular mid-season game, um, or at least I don't wait at the same. This Rutgers-Nebraska game does fall in kind of the traditional rhythm of a untraditional season, I guess. Like, you know, in in a regular season, if you had a Friday game, you could could be playing on on six weeks rest. But it it still strikes me as a little bit more bowl-like in that neither team knew who they were going to play until Sunday afternoon, basically. You also have national, or the early signing period was this week, so... Coaches had to deal with that, um, which is obviously important for the the future. It all adds up as just kind of a a bizarre set of circumstances. So we'll see we'll see how that unfolds. Let's uh, kind of continue here with the first half with three Rutgers players to watch. Uh, number one on my list, and I worked on this pronunciation. Hopefully, I don't blow it. This is this is my big moment because he's he's an important guy. Uh, linebacker Ola Kunle Uh, I hope I got that right. I may have put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. Um, That's entirely possible, but I did look it up in the pronunciation guide. Either way, I'm going to call him Ola for now. Leads the Big Ten with 99 tackles. He's second in the league with 11 tackles for loss. He's first nationally at 12.4 tackles per game. The only people ahead of him in terms of total tackles on a national level are guys that have played nine or 10 games. And based on all of that, as you may have guessed, he, he's a Buckus Award semifinalist. He he kind of does a little bit of everything for for Rutgers. He's a senior. He's the kind of player you need uh, when you have a new coaching staff taking over, even though we know Greg Shiano was, was plenty familiar with Rutgers before. But you just need these guys who can kind of, you can count on. You can be like, well, whatever happens, like we're trying to g- gain ground here and there's going to be, there's going to be bumps in the road, but We can put him out there and know what we're going to get. And boy, has he, has he ever produced on that level? Based on what we've seen from him this season, I don't think it's an exaggeration to call him perhaps the best player on the field on Friday. I mean, there's some, some competition there, but he, he is up there and the Scarlet Knights need everything he has provided to this point. Number two on my list is wide receiver, Bo Melton. Uh, He's only, he's ninth in the big 10. Uh, but only averaging 70, basically 70 yards per game receiving. But he just has a knack for for finding the end zone. He's third in the league with six receiving touchdowns so far. He's kind of Rutgers' most reliable option, but also their most dynamic option. I want to take a, a moment here just to mention uh, offensive coordinator Sean Gleason. Really good hire. For Rutgers, kind of a surprising hire. So, so Gleason made his name uh, at Princeton, ran kind of a really inventive and fun version of classic spread concepts, enough to to catch the attention of Mike Gundy, who hired him as his offensive coordinator at Oklahoma State. had a had a stint with the Cowboys before Rutgers was able to to hire him away. And Gleason's a, a New Jersey native, so that might have factored into it, but so far the the returns on that have been pretty encouraging for for Rutgers from a offensive standpoint and get into it a little bit in the second half about where they sit nationally in some things um it's nothing that's going to blow you away but you really have to consider just from how far this offense had to come I you know I I knew this about the, the Scarlet Knights last year, but I'd basically forgotten it. And, and seeing it again this week, kind of took my breath away a little bit. Rutgers averaged five point seven points per game in Big Ten play last year, so le- less than a touchdown per per game against conference opponents. It was it was awful. It uh, about as bad as you'll ever see. This year, of course, playing a, a schedule that was conference only by design they 're up to twenty seven point four points per game, um, and if you want to just kind of brass tax it like there's there 's plenty of things to work on for for Rutgers as an offense, but in terms of just getting points on the board it 's about as good a a good a improvement as you 're going to see from an offense in in one year only. Quarterback has been part of that um, one of the well probably the predominant storyline here uh, for a Nebraska Rutgers game is the fact that Noah Vedrill won that starting job after, after transferring from Nebraska, uh, got the starting nod. I don't think that surprised many folks who, who follow the Huskers and, and know what, what Noah Vedrill was capable of, uh, with, with some more time with, with a better opportunity, um, a chance to be the starter, I guess would be the simplest way to put it, but also just kind of the kind of leader he is, the kind of person he is, someone who can easily fall in with a totally new program and emerge as a leader pretty quickly. He got injured last week. His status at, at the time of recording was officially up in the air. If he's not able to go, uh, the Knights will probably turn to Arter cirkowski who this is kind of a feather in Gleason's cap as well, Two years ago, Sikowski got thrown to the wolves as a, a true freshman starter on a Rutgers team that was not good at all, and he had about as bad a season statistically as you could have for a quarterback. This year, in in, in relief duty of of Vedral, he's been he's been really strong. His his completion rate is high. He can operate the offense. It kind of goes to show you. Now, I'm sure Sikowski is a, a better player as a junior than he was as a 18 year old true freshman jumping right into to power five football because Rutgers needed him to. But it also goes to show you, I think, how knowing your personnel, how having an offense that's easy to pick up that highlights your strengths when it needs to can make a pretty big difference. So credit to Rutgers for the ground they've covered so far and credit to to Gleason and, and to Shiano for being able to go out and land him. Last on the list is another wide receiver for me, um, Aaron Kirkshank, but I'm not putting him here for his receiving ability though. He's, he's strong in that regard ranks in the top three for, for Rutgers in most of their receiving categories. But the big thing is, is, uh, he's a really dangerous kickoff return man. And if you're thinking that name rings a bell a bit, uh, you've already, he's, he's got three career kickoff return touchdowns. You probably saw one of them, uh, Kirkshank transferred from Wisconsin he was the guy who had that really key kickoff return against the Huskers last year in Lincoln just as Nebraska was starting to build some momentum it looked like against Wisconsin you give up a special teams touchdown and, and the Badgers basically wiped off a really strong touch touchdown drive from from the Huskers and kind of kept them at arm's length so keep an eye on him Nebraska's been really schemy for for lack of a better term um with its with its kickoff returns you know you recall the Iowa game they they wanted no part of Smith-Marset and and kicked short and and asked the Hawkeyes to fair catch a whole bunch we'll see how they handle this one let's move to three players to watch for the Huskers and this one number one is true freshman offensive tackle Turner Corcoran um left tackle Brendan Hymas after starting 40 straight games at, at Nebraska, which remains, you know, I've I've covered college football professionally full time for about a decade now. Um, those players that can do that, that can just be fixtures in the starting lineup guys that, you know, it takes a little bit of luck with, with injury um, and, and those sorts of things, but are just there week in and week out tend to be the guys that I remember most fondly, the guys that I appreciate the most, because I feel like, that's really, really hard to do. Um, Hymas did that. Op, he's probably Nebraska's best draft prospect um, entering this this offseason and opted not to play in this game to to focus on his preparations for the NFL draft. So certainly wish him well in, in that pursuit. And it, it sets up a pretty interesting spot for Corcoran, who kind of surprised us, I think, back in fall camp, learning that... Yes, eligibility was kind of eligibility concerns were were off the table for everyone, so maybe he had a little bit more incentive, but Corcoran was a really high profile recruit, a big get for Nebraska, and basically started out second string as a true freshman behind Hymas at left tackle. He's he's played some this season. This will be our first kind of extended look at him, and it, it adds some intrigue to this one. It'll be it'll be fun to see him take that on. It's going to be a challenge, um, but let's let's see what he can do. The coaches are super high on Corcoran, super high on his potential and his future. Now you get thrown into it and we'll see what happens. Number two on my list is tight end Travis Vokalek. While we don't know yet if Noah Vedra will get to face his former team, Vokalek probably will. The, the Rutgers transfer has been He's been really strong for Nebraska. He's just kind of a fixture. His, his numbers don't jump out at you. He Austin Allen has emerged as, as one of Nebraska's go-to receivers. If not, their like number two option overall when you factor tight end and wide receivers together. Vokalek gets asked to do a lot of the dirty work. He's more of an inline guy. Uh, he's important in the run scheme, but has shown the ability to get open and, and make catches when presented with the opportunity. I don't know that he has a huge game uh, here, but it, but hey, it w- it would be nice to see. You know, he he sure, surely still knows a lot of guys on that team, and uh, adds a little bit of extra motivation potentially. So, I'll be keeping an eye on on Vokalek to see if uh, maybe he can get into the end zone here against the Scarlet Knights. Third will be a more familiar name. Um, and I kind of bring it up because it's, it's a little bit bizarre to this point. But going back to the Wandale Robinson well, you could list him as, as one of the three key players every week. Um, the Huskers lean on him heavily. He's probably, especially with Hymas with not playing, probably the best player on, on offense, does what he, whatever he's asked, even if the hope was maybe Nebraska didn't have to lean on him so heavily in the run game. But, but here's why I mentioned him here. He's another guy where just kind of put, you know, all bias aside everything else. Like, it's bizarre that he hasn't gotten in the end zone yet. He's got 84 total touches between receptions and carries and just zero touchdowns. Um, that's, <laughs> that's pretty uncommon. Um, it would be strange to go an entire season without a touchdown from a player as talented as, as him. And I mean, you know, if that's what unfolds, you could look at it as mostly a matter of circumstance, but I, I expect if Nebraska does get down, you know, inside the 10, inside the five, where you start to feel pretty good about scoring and you've got choices to make in terms of what player you're going to call and, and what personnel you use, wouldn't be surprised if Nebraska gave wandale the chance to, uh, to get in there, because he certainly earned it based on everything he's been asked to do, and has done really well. Um, he's gotten stronger. You know, the the early read on not him, but I guess the offense as a whole early in the year was got to get more touches. Nebraska's done that, um, and and Wandale continues to to really make a lot of the opportunities that he gets that'll take us to halftime. Um here's meteorologist Rusty Dawkins with the forecast for Friday. Be a pretty interesting one given uh what was expected and what what could could be there for for this Rutgers game on Friday. You can follow Rusty on Twitter at HuskerWeather.
2: Hi there everyone. This is meteorologist Rusty Dawkins with Hail Varsity for the I80 preview podcast and we're headed to New Jersey this time and nothing like December in New Jersey, Uh, and right after a Nor'easter blows through. What's a Nor'easter? Well, it's a very... Very large and strong low-pressure system that kind of moves up the coast and drops a ton of snow. Uh, Some spots may see anywhere from 3 to 30 inches of snow. So we'll see what New New Jersey has uh, after this Nor'easter blows through. Now, there is going to be a fresh pile of snow on the ground just about everywhere on the East Coast from this Nor'easter. So temperatures are going to struggle to warm up for the Husker game in New Jersey on Friday. Now, the game itself, which has a kickoff at 630, finally a night game, uh, it's going to be quiet, but it is going to be cold. Now, the calm after the storm means we're going to see mostly clear to partly cloudy skies due to a high-pressure system that's going to settle in right behind that nor'easter. And we should see just a light north-to-northwest breeze, maybe 5 to 15 miles per hour. Now, with that high pressure, that means it's going to get cold, and temperatures are going to uh, start in the middle 20s and drop into the lower 20s by the end of the game, maybe even some teens uh, if the game goes long enough. Now, here's your hour-by-hour hour forecast. Mostly clear skies, temperatures in the middle 20s at kickoff with that northwest wind at 5 to 15 miles per hour wouldn't surprise me to see a wind chill in the teens now by halftime mostly clear to partly cloudy skies temperatures in the lower 20s and that northwest wind still out there at 5 to 15 miles per hour and by the end of the game partly cloudy upper teens and lower 20s for temperatures that northwest wind at 5 to 15 miles per hour which means the windchill will likely be in the teens might even be seeing some single digits at times so definitely a cold game uh, we are going to have updates uh, with the forecast on hailvarsity.com. You can always check my Twitter accounts too. That's RustyWX and Husker Webb.
1: Kick off the second half here by jumping right into, I think, the, the three keys for, for Nebraska to win this game. We'll start simple um, with a direction I, I try not to go if at all possible, but it just kind of jumps out when you compare these two teams. Uh, forcing a turnover or two would be nice. For Nebraska's defense. In two of Rutgers' three wins this season, the Scarlet Knights have committed zero turnovers. They committed three against Michigan State, but the Spartans committed seven, if you remember that wacky week one game. Well, week one of the Big Ten season, anyway. So, m- mention the kind of good parts of, of what Rutgers has done, how far it has already come. From a national perspective, this offense is is still limited in in a lot of ways it ranks 114th nationally in success rate and that that pretty much holds you know across all of the various categories whether it's a running play a passing play a standard down or a passing down explosive plays have been an even bigger problem uh ruckers ranks 126th nationally there 113th in terms of getting those plays on the ground and 123rd in rushing. So that tells you that it's it's why I chose to highlight the takeaways here for Nebraska or giveaways if you're Rutgers. It's an offense that, that needs the help. Or I guess maybe the better way to look at it is it can't kind of commit the big mistake and make up for it elsewhere. So That's why I think takeaways will be pretty big here for Nebraska. I also think it's big because while the Huskers defense has shown some real strides and some real improvements in a lot of areas, I think everybody kind of feels better about the defense here towards the end of 2020 than at any point so far under uh, coach Scott Frost and this staff. The one thing that has fallen is takeaways. Um, Nebraska forced 20. Over 12 games in in 2018, so that's 1.6 a game. Last year was 21. You're up to 1.7 so far through seven games in this season. However, Nebraska's forced just six 0.8 per game. Some of that can be a little bit of happenstance, random bounces of the ball, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, and Nebraska definitely hasn't gotten <laughs> the good random bounces when it comes to fumbles. I talk about this pretty often, but most teams over a long enough span will recover half of their opponent's fumbles. Nebraska's recovered two of 12 so far. Um, we talked about this on a preseason hail varsity podcast when we were talking through season over and unders. And I kind of jokingly put that in there just as a way to kind of ask our staff, like, do you think Nebraska is going to be on the good luck side of the equation with this or the bad luck side? I thought they would be on the good luck side. Uh, they have not been. And, you can you could get it you could get more detailed with that you could look at okay who were those fumbles coming from <clears throat> you get a fumble on a punt return or you know a bobbled punt return or quarterbacks tend to you know if you jar the ball the ball loose while sacking the quarterback or tackling the quarterback those tend to be a little bit higher recovery rates for for the offense for the fumbling team but still you're looking at Nebraska's recovered two fumbles this year You'd expect them to recover six. And with the way some of these games have gone, would four turnovers make the difference? It would certainly make a difference, I think, in a, so far, seven-game season for the Huskers. Turnovers are always going to be a little bit volatile in that way. Like, you know, plenty of special seasons have been fueled by teams who maybe recover 10 of 12 opponent fumbles. I mean, that happens all the time. You've got a range here. The thing that's interesting about, about Nebraska's defense this season is the first two years, it was a pretty high havoc type of team. And that, you know, they weren't stopping teams consistently enough when it came to success rate, but they'd get tackles for losses and they'd get pass deflections and they'd get fumbles, forced fumbles. Um, I kind of made the compiled some of these into a, a made up stat that I've that I've tracked for the past three years called takeaway opportunities or take ops as I borrowed from the military for a catchy uh, abbreviation there. In 2018, Nebraska forced a take op on 9.1 percent of its defensive plays. 2019 dropped a little bit to eight and a half percent. And then so far this year, it's just 6.2%. So maybe that's the influence of playing an only conference schedule. Um, But something has gone a little bit differently there for for Nebraska. They're just not generating a ton of those attempts to, to get the ball back, which when I'm talking about that, I'm talking about forced fumbles. So whether you recovered or not, at least you gave yourself a chance. And then passes defended, you you expect a team to intercept about 20% of the balls that it gets a hand on as a, as a defense didn't happen last week against Minnesota. Uh, I think the Huskers, if I recall correctly, had seven pass breakups with no interceptions and you'd expect that to on seven, seven passes defended, you're, you're expecting more than one interception. So just kind of the way things have broken a little bit for, for the Huskers number two on my list of things Nebraska needs to do to, to leave Piscataway, New Jersey with a win. Beware of third down. Um, that's something you can mention. Really going into any game, uh, I, I hope at this point, if you've, you've listened to a couple of these, you know that I try to, to avoid those, those easy kind of game predictions, uh, keys to the game, if at all possible. So it's, it's, it's here for a reason. Greg Shiano is a defensive coach. He, he's a good defensive coach. It's not a surprise to see him make Rutgers better quickly. Um, the, the Scarlet Knights defense is below average in in kind of the efficiency and explosiveness categories, but just a little bit. Uh they rank 69th, excuse me, in success rate. And that holds pretty steady for the most point most part. Haven't done so well in preventing big plays. They ranked 95th in explosive plays percentage, but have done a good job in limiting them on the ground, which is which is important. You know, that that to me is more of kind of an effort and scheme thing and tackling. Gotta throw that in there as well, than it is necessarily a talent thing. Explosive passing plays, that one can be a little bit more volatile. Uh you either got good defensive backs or you don't. Scarlet Knights rank 111th in, in that category. But the one thing that this young defense, this defense that is making improvement, clearly from, from where Rutgers is at, it's done really well on third down. And, and that makes sense. It's a defense that needs that. It needs kind of, and, and, you know, third downs can come in all shapes and sizes. Third and one's very different from third and nine. But it's the sort of group that can get up when it knows it has a chance to, to get off the field. And you could really take this and extend it to, to all passing downs. Um, when you look at Rutgers success rate, it's, it's best on those passing downs. So when it has the biggest edge, when it's expected to succeed the most is when it does. And that, that tends to be a, a trait of kind of a young and in progress defense some of those will happen on on third down. The the Scarlet Knights rank 4th in the Big 10 uh in third down conversion percentage defensively. They're allowing conversion just 36.5% of the time. Nebraska's offense ranks 13th in in the league at at 33.3%. Defensively, Nebraska Nebraska isn't a ton better, um which, you know, as we get into the off season and really zoom out and look big picture here, you just look at if you have a bigger edge, well, if you have any edge between offense and defense on third down, things potentially go quite a bit differently. Nebraska hasn't been able to get there. It is what it is at this point, but you look at you look at this game, and I'm pretty confident in, in Nebraska's ability to to move the football overall, but but the overall trait that I'm probably going to remember most from 2020 offensively is How just how feast or famine Nebraska was. It really needed the edge of being on schedule, being in standard downs to succeed. And when the Huskers were, and this has really been true since the second or third game of the season, at whatever point you thought, okay, there's enough here for me to feel like these just aren't one game blips. It's Nebraska's been excellent on standard downs. So those drives that you probably remember where they, you know, just consistently gain yards, may not have those big gains, more on that in a little bit, um, but just consistently gain yards. They look really crisp. They look really good. Passing downs, like the total opposite in the spectrum. So Nebraska ranks 13th with a 49.2% success rate on those standard downs, drop all the way to 120th on, on passing downs. So You know, it's, it's really changed how I've watched games this season. You think back to the first play against Minnesota and you never want to put too much on one play, but just having that pass that was ruled lateral looked lateral to me. doesn't matter. It was ruled that way. So it goes down as a fumble and a loss of whatever it was, five, six yards. So you're in second and 15 or 16. And my thinking then was we were one play into the game, Nebraska, which always does this. Um, Some people questioned it, but it's always been the team. that's like we're going to take the ball, go down and score. And it provides an edge. And there's really good justification for doing that if you can execute it. But I looked at it and I was like, well, you took the ball for the chance to score first and get up on this Minnesota team that wants to run the ball and control the clock. And the drive's dead after, after one play because you didn't, you didn't execute it well enough. And it, it turned out to be the case, you know, it could, have, it could have gone the other way, but just based on what we know about Nebraska's offense to this point, how getting behind the chains is almost a death sentence for them, it's, it's really, really tough. They should be able to stay on schedule against this, this Rutgers team the majority of the time. They've really done it to most teams, but as you watch this, um, if this remains a close game, if it's you know, a game where Nebraska is trying to come from behind, which has been the case far too often over the past three seasons, watch those downs where you know maybe you're like, oh, it wasn't a bad play, break a tackle here, and instead of a two-yard gain at six, those are really adding up because when Nebraska gets in second and eight, when it gets in third and six, it's been in real trouble. So depending on how big of an edge you think Nebraska might have in this game, uh, which of those power rating lines is closer to, to how you feel about this one, these like handful of passing downs, you may only have 12, 15, 18 of them a game, could be the deciding factor. And some of those will inevitably be third down. Last on the list for this week, for this short week, um, I'm going to call it go big or go home. Had a great conversation with with Derek Peterson and Aaron Sorensen on this week's Varsity Club podcast. Definitely go check that out. Derek had a really good question for us, which is how does Nebraska quote unquote fix its offense for 2021? And the constraints of this were you you get one thing. You can't say, well, the offensive line has got to play better and you know they need more consistent running, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, focus on one thing. Like if you could just wave a magic wand and change one thing to make Nebraska better in 2021, where it's going to return potentially quite a bit of the offense that we saw in 2020, what would that one item be for me? It's, it's big plays, which again is a thing that is, it's clearly, clearly important. It's probably, it's in the top three in terms of the things that really decide football games. Um, one of which is turnovers, which we already talked about today, and that one's tough because they're pretty random. the The number one thing on that list is just down to down efficiency success rate, which is why I talk about it all the time. Third on that list is probably explosive plays, and the reason why I, it's it's somewhat unique to college football, I think. But before I go into that, let's just kind of set the stage here for, for what I'm talking about in 2018, um, Nebraska had an explosive play, which I count as any run over 10 yards and any pass over 15 had an explosive play on 17.4% of its total offensive plays. That was 25th nationally. It's why maybe if you felt by the end of the 2018 season, even though that year didn't start the way anybody kind of expected it to, but if you felt at that, by the end of the year like oh they made some really good progress it kind of started to look like what we thought a Scott Frost offense might look like that explosive play rate right, explosive play rate was probably a big part of that nebraska went up and down the field pretty quickly got explosive plays at a top 25 rate and it made a huge difference 2019 it fell a little bit to 16.8% which was 33rd nationally the, the bigger issue last year was was the drop in success rate. Big plays, they kind of remained. So you, you always want to have a good blend of both. Like being elite is having a good blend of both. Most teams kind of have to lead on one or the other. And the confusing thing with Nebraska has been they've never quite lined up at the same time in the same season. That was 2019. Go to this year, you're only playing conference games. So, so that influences this a little bit. But the Huskers are down to a 14.1% explosive play rate, which is below the national average, ranks 88th. They remain efficient. They made some pretty big gains in terms of success rate, you know, and we already talked about kind of exactly what that looks like when you get a little bit more detailed there. It's success rate most of the time, um, and the times when they're not successful tend to be pretty crucial. But without big plays a lot of offenses are going to struggle to score. And this might run a little bit counter to, to how we think about football, maybe especially how we think about football in, in the big 10, but the, the notion of an eight, nine, 10 play touchdown drive, it doesn't totally exist in today's college football. There are certainly teams that do that. There are teams that are good at doing that. And, probably a disproportionate share of the teams that are good at it exist in the big 10. But nationally, that's, that's not what happens. Seven is kind of the key number here. Nebraska's average touchdown drive this year has taken 7.3 plays that might seem pretty short. Um, but actually the national average here and talking about all teams, uh, hangs close at at seven for the average number of plays for any scoring drive. But touchdown drives in particular always tend to be like six and a half. They tend to be just short of seven. Field goal drives tend to be a little bit over seven. So that's how you're reaching that, that seven as kind of the average for all scoring drives. And that makes sense. You know, if a team goes 60 yards in five plays, like if they're going to score a touchdown, they're probably going to do it pretty soon for drives that stall out and result in the field goal. So, I mean, that that's you got to factor that in. But I think what this number is telling us, I think it's a pretty powerful number for this reason, is just the impact that these big plays have. Like y- you get a 20-yard gain <laughs> or anything more than that, and your odds of scoring on that drive just go way up because you've eaten up a huge chunk of yards, obviously. But we're also still talking about college offenses here. And they're prone to mistakes. I I kind of liken it to uh, exposure. Like how much exposure does your offense have to the defense making a play, to a batted ball turning into an interception, to you just messing up? And, And so much I think of when you think back the past three years in Nebraska football, a lot of it comes down to, well, if we just don't get that penalty and we, you know, run a better play here, have a better play call, et cetera, et cetera. So much of it is focused on, on Nebraska's mistakes, which I get. I think it's, it's that way for every program in the country. You tend to look at what your team did wrong before you look at what your opponent did. Well, it's just human nature. um, Kind of the way, the way the brain works, I guess. But how much of that for Nebraska is because they're missing those big plays because they are exposed um, to to use that term again because there are so many of these t- kind of touch points like to go 9 10 11 plays consistently and, and score a touchdown drive or score a touchdown under drive requires you to to execute at a higher level obviously than than the four or five play draw. it's not complicated it's just you've got to kind of dig into the numbers and actually look at what's happening here. Um, put it this way. I don't think it's a coincidence that Nebraska's two wins this year included games with touchdown drives of one, three, and three plays. Um, now, most of those things were not due to, to big plays. Um, they were due to short fields set up by special teams or turnovers. Um, you had one of those against Penn State. You had two of them against Purdue. And of course, those are Nebraska's two wins. So however that comes, however, doesn't change its importance. And if we talked about takeaways and the importance of takeaways for Nebraska's defense in this game, you'll take those. Um, If you don't get those, you're probably going to need some, some long plays from the offense in pretty tough, what should be pretty tough conditions uh, to to make up for it. And, And Nebraska struggled to do that so far. Speaking of tough conditions, I kind of wanted to wrap up here by just talking about this game in a big picture sense, I mentioned it's a it's a bit of a tough assignment. you know I don't know what the excitement level is for such a game you know i don't I don't mean this to discredit Rutgers in any way like they've probably improved. As much as as almost any team in the country, just to get with where they are. But they've been, you know, they haven't been a factor in the Big Ten at all since since joining the league in 2014. And that reputation carries. And now you've got to go to their place. Um, like I said, longest trip you can make on a short week, cold, empty stadium, et cetera, et cetera. This is a really good test of I think Nebraska's mental fortitude of how important it is to close this season potentially with a little bit of momentum to show that something I think the players all believe the coaching staff all believes I believe it, but they're the ones who who keep talking about it and have kind of the forum to mention it in a sense of somebody who's actually involved that the record so far through three years doesn't reflect the gains that Nebraska's made. And there's a, a lot of people don 't like to hear this or or don 't believe it or just see something differently, and that 's that 's totally fine. Um, I see evidence to back that up a little bit, but you start looking at kind of public sentiment, the off season ahead like losing to Rutgers in this game significantly changes the tenor of the off season you know, one of my kind of pet positions is that no one game should, should probably change how we feel about anything, but it's just the way that it works. Um, it's a little bit like those bowl games where the last thing you put on tape is the thing people tend to remember the most. Nebraska's got a challenge ahead. Um, it's a better team than Rutgers. I I really do think that, but it hasn't been the season they wanted. Um, really none of the past three seasons have been the season that they wanted. They're the team that has to continually kind of argue for the progress they're making because it's not evident elsewhere. And that, that takes a toll. I think it's a tough spot to be in. Can you go out and change it? Can you go out and change it starting this week? That's what Nebraska has got to do. It's not going to be easy, but I'm excited to see them have that opportunity I'm excited to have at least one more football game here in the 2020 season. It's gone super quickly. It's been strange in ways expected and unexpected. So thanks everyone for listening to this each week. Um, if you have been, or if you're new, uh, hopefully you'll continue listening as, as we go forward, subscribe to hail varsity, hit the like and subscribe button on this podcast. Check out all of our other podcasts on, on the Hale Varsity Network. We've got a slew of them, and um, we'll talk to you after the record A
2: Hoodat Media Production.